starts, and welcome to Real Indigenous, which is all because of the show that we're going to talk about today, Reservation Dogs. The genesis for this was the need for critical analysis of Indigenous new media. And our founding members started this whole thing to look at and give feedback of things that are working, things that could be improved, things that really are impactful to our community. And as we sign off on season three, the final season of Reservation Dogs, I think it's important that we gather together and talk about what this show has meant to us. And I've got two of our other hosts with us, if you'll introduce yourself. Uh, Madhu Wicca, this is Sunrise. And this is Matt Bars. And so we all understand how important this show is. I mean, between this and Rutherford Falls, these are two shows that were on major streaming platforms and really introduced a wider viewing audience to the different specificities of different Indigenous stories. And I cannot emphasize enough how much this show has meant. I was on the pilot as Jesus stand-in, which is what how I got brought into this whole podcast to begin with. And you could feel the care and love that went into that, even though it was during the pandemic. We were all there. We were all rowing in the same direction. And everybody was just, it was the most special set I've ever been on. I'll I'll just say that. And not just because the food was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that food was amazing. <laughs> and I think, yeah, and who else is, you both have been on set, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember what we had, but it was, it was great. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was there on the same pilot. I couldn't make the other seasons, unfortunately. I think it uh, was not to be. Yeah, I remember the food was really amazing. And there were times <laughs> where it's like the, you know, for those who don't know, there are on large productions, there are two departments that handle food. And one is catering, um, where everybody goes for lunch or everybody goes for breakfast or, you know, like the entire production team, cast and crew. There's large spaces usually available, like a cafeteria. And then there is craft services, which is available on set while you're shooting, right? These are snacks and drinks that are just within a walk away. And usually in productions, craft services uh, is not competing at any level with catering. But on this production, they were, at least on the pilot, it was, uh, people were getting really amazing. Oh my gosh. Food. <laughs> it was, and it was healthy food. I mean, it wasn't just cheese and crackers or toasty cheese or like real healthy. And they would, since it was pandemic, they would deliver it to you since we couldn't gather in one place. But now we're wrapping up the whole series. So we, you guys have already talked about the first part of this season. And so we wanted to make sure to t cover the second part of the season. And what episode does that start with? Friday. And then obviously after that is House Made of Bongs, the uh, flashback episode, mm -hmm. the Frankfurter sandwich where cheese goes fishing yeah. with the elders. Seven is uh, Rita starts seeing spirits. Eight is the rescue mission. Yeah. Uh, episode eight, send off or send it. And then, of course, episode nine is about Laura's dad. And then the fin finale called Dig. Yeah. So we didn't talk about any of those episodes. 
Dang, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. But also, you know, Dark Winds, we we sped through a lot of it. We cut to, talked in generalities, even though we kind of talked about specific moments in some episodes. So uh, one thing just while we're, I guess, just trying to work forward <laughs> is that uh, Dark Winds was a little bit more manageable because there were fewer episodes. But also there's maybe more structure like a serial versus like mm-hmm. maybe this sort of functions to me a little bit more like I used to think it was more like a sitcom, which I think it still is. Like the duration starts to imply that. Mm-hmm. The performance style starts to imply that. But the fact that we have some maybe lingering plot lines across some episodes makes it feel a little bit more connected like a series. But the fact that we visit <clears throat> different uh, casts this season, or we spend time with characters in a way that we haven't really in episode in the season one, um, or we go places that seem disconnected functions to me more like an anthology. Yes. You know, like the fact that we kind of start in the spirit world in the Maximus episode or, or even the fact that we spend time in Maximus's world in episode two, the fact that we spend time with only the dear lady or the house made of bongs in that time period, Mm -hmm. um, those function more like a, an anthology, which seems very different from the first season, at least. Very Um, different. Yeah, we maybe get sort of hints of that, like when we go to the IHS conference and this what the second season, the, the midstreamer episode. Too. Yeah, the midstreamer episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's the Matt Bars on screen episode. But uh, I mean, in the past, we've talked about how when we tell our stories, we have a tendency to trot out some tropes and some and some education about those tropes, and so this kind of has to me, evolved into addressing different topics instead of necessarily having a seasonal plot line. So like when they do the episode House of a Thousand Bongs or whatever it is. The House Made of Bongs. The House Made of Bongs. Yeah, Yeah, just so everybody's maybe clear, I'm not sure if that's actually the case, but it feels like it's about poetry because I believe there's a poet that wrote it, right? And I think that's an analogy to a house made of dawn, the house made of dawn. I think it it took me a little bit to figure that out. I think that that's what the allusion to is there. Um, well, and but, I understand wanting to do something cool like this and show that how our elders spent their youth, right? And and that we were here in the 60s and 70s and very active as Indian people. I just wish that it hadn't been like a copy and paste of days and confused i think that you could have done that especially black horse because he's just so talented that had done like an homage without actually copying the whole film and made the point that this was a time of of activism for our people and you know with aim and the advent of native film and all of these things that it was it was so cool to watch and I know that it's limited time and you're working with a big corporation, but it would have been a lot more fun to see something in his voice. Does that make his sense? His voice, his voice, meaning Black, Black Horse. Horse Maxim- oh, Black Horse. Oh, that's interesting. That's one where it felt like the series really needed to go beyond the 30 minute <clears throat> or 28 minute, whatever the limitation is. It right, needed, to, needed to go to the 45 minutes. Um and a lot of episodes in the season felt they felt real. They felt short. 
and with what everything that we're trying to cover really would, would have benefited but then i guess it would have it wouldn't have been considered a comedy yeah well, maybe i don't know i mean like right. this makes me think about arrested development now that's a different show yeah. that had you yeah. know its own history with like audiences that had time with it uh, over a great period of time but when it came back on netflix for its season four yeah everyone was kind of scattered it was yeah it, yeah it was, the, it was the, the characters the characters were scattered but also there were different running times and they were not dependent on the limitations of broadcast duration you know so there was not uniformity in the way that there has to be for this i guess for hulu to function i'm not sure if this series actually it, when it started if it was going to be broadcast on the cable version of effects or if it if the intention is that it can be that way in the future so this sort of like uniformity of 28 minutes as a comedy does make it programmable for the future mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't really take advantage of the streaming the freedom of streaming you know mm -hmm. and so that limitation however that was imposed did um a disservice like you're, you're talking about and then they had to you know whoever is managing those logistics you know i'm sure had to enforce it on the team but i agree i feel like the this should have been a 40 minute series to begin with it feels like there's so much that is being trying to accomplish uh, they're doing a, a lot within the time that they have like just house made of bombs yeah. for example it's a very popular one the amount of time that we get to learn about these young characters it is well managed in the amount of time that they have it still feels like even though they were basically re-establishing an entire new group of characters that i still had a storyline it still went somewhere that was unexpected i felt like i was understanding the, the world in a new way and it feels like it, it, it is beyond the 28 minutes to me even though it feels like we are left with a need and a desire to see more mm -hmm. that, that could be intentional because this does also feel like it functions like this like concept of the backdoor pilot where there might be more episodes and you know this statement that he's made sterling has made is um you know the the series has come to an end but we might see the characters again and i could see this being a potential other series it's this particular episode so popular that and it's know, so good i mean i i say all that but i love this episode I loved the casting. I loved the pacing. I loved learning more about each of these people. And so, so much so that, you know, when they show up later in this other episodes, I'm so happy to see them. Yeah, absolutely. Even though what you're talking about here with like Jason Confused is just sort of this copy and paste you're saying, it, it feels like it's, it feels like they evoked the spirit of that to some degree enough for it to feel like we had our own Dazed and Confused that's been missing i guess to some degree even though you know maybe the exiles is sort of our version of that to some degree but this style the apparel the tone maybe the music all those things are working really well and it's great to see that like this episode can function in a way where you know if black horse wanted to pitch another dazed and confused or what's the what's the link later sequel where it's like we follow baseball players and they walk around everybody wants, them. <clears throat> everybody wants them it feels like you know black horse or sterling could go pitch everybody wants them now. yeah but can't can't we just pitch a period piece <laughs> we totally yeah we totally can <laughs> instead of you know 
saying, oh, it'll be like Richard Linklater or da 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we we should be able to, but also, <clears throat> you know, part of the, the circumstances here is that we now have like indigenous artists that are now dealing with larger corporate entities. Yeah. Right? This is like, you know, to convince Disney that it's possible, you have to have an example. And we're now in this new era where we have people making these examples. We have like this indigenous led action. We have this indigenous uh, comedy in the, you know, sitcom, traditional sitcom format with Rutherford Falls. We have uh, this series that's kind of maybe also in the anthology format here that's a little bit more anthology like in this last season. We have some examples that people can look toward and say, well, they did this. We'd like to do something similar. So it's sort of functioning like that to me. Even though it's maybe in the end, I, I am in agreement that it felt short because I wanted more time. I wanted more time with, especially Maximus. I felt like we were yeah. starting to thread a story about Maximus and, and it felt like the duration of the episodes and the number of episodes this season made me crave more time with Maximus. Yeah, definitely. And it felt like, it felt like we needed, you know, one more episode or another, you know, two more or something before he comes back and it's like the reunion. Yeah, you're I mean you're right and there's like a systemic issue there where we can't just pitch a period film without it being a, a western. Right. Or you know because we do need these movies about that time period. I think that the most important legacy for this series is going to be how many creative natives got their chance to show what they could do. So that they can, so that they can pitch it up, so that they can move our stories more mainstream and show that there are audiences for this. Because Sterling gave them the opportunity to write and direct and produce, and I mean, we cannot understate how important that is to the future of Indigenous storytelling in mainstream media. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I, I could sense that in the first or second season was that. He was giving people an opportunity to have their voices run in whatever direction they wanted. He was willing to support just the the interest of the artists, even though it was sort of like still kind of somewhat contained within the, I guess, the narrative, the general narrative threads of these characters. But, you know, like mm -hmm. this is where the plot thickens. This episode that um, we're talking about with Big uh, going on his adventure and he strays away from the dogs and he has this sort of like you know experience with substance and comes to a relationship with dear woman he hadn't in, in a way he hadn't before that episode i feel like completely went in a direction that you know the team wanted to take it uh, i don't feel like it's in the voice of sterling as much as it is in the in the writing team perhaps the directing team and it feels like that's where the strength of the series really is i guess that's maybe the best way in which this anthology format exists you know i um what's what is great about you know going to the spirit world is i didn't anticipate the way that it looked i didn't anticipate a a conquistador i didn't anticipate <laughs> <laughs> i didn't anticipate the mentioning of genghis khan and that i'm sure has everything to do with tazba because tazba wrote and directed that episode and I don't think that came from Sterling's head. Maybe it, it you know, out of conversation or something. I don't know. But but it, it feels like it's just the opportunity for that particular artist to depict their vision of a spirit world, and then the way in which star people is depicted. It feels like that's very unique and very distinct. 
despite the fact that I wish there were more of it. I wish, I, you know, like I wish somehow Maximus's narrative with star people were more present, especially toward the end. I feel like that's maybe one thing that didn't get wrapped up for me. But again, it also functions just like House Made of Bombs, where it feels like there's a world that Maximus has come from, that he's existed in, that could e exist in another series somehow or, or its own film. But right now it feels like it It felt like there were elements that I wanted to come back. And, you know, maybe that's by design. The fact that I want more means that I will watch more. But when it came to like the narrative, it felt incomplete on part of Maximus because we had to come back and complete the story with our regular cast and characters. I think that but that's one of the things that we've all enjoyed about this is avoiding the need to explain everything. And that's one of the things that the series has done really well is just told a story and not bothered to explain stuff. And what's really interesting is like people that I talk to that are non-native, they're all like, well, what does that mean? And it gives me the opportunity to say, you know, I don't know. I'm not Muscogee Creek. This is how we differ. And this is why there's 500 and mm -hmm. however many of us and mm -hmm. we're all different. And they go, oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. This absolutely, that's a great thing about the series. The fact that it functioned for as popular culture. Yeah. And it becomes a point of discussion about difference and culture rather than just um, water cooler talk about, you know, the jokes. Yeah. And I, I do appreciate the fact that they cut down on all the shit ass in the Sonics on season three. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate that. <laughs> I do think it was in every episode. I feel like that was a little bit of like an implied house style, but I think it's in every episode, but it's probably maybe downplayed. In how it, it was, it was much more yeah. subtle the third season. And I think this season focused more on intergenerational relationships instead of the student relationship, the kids relationships. Which is which is our people. I mean, that's who we are. Most of what I'm seeing in native cinema these days, they really spotlight our elders and our respect and care for them, and you know, and what community means. And I think that this this season built on that really in a lovely way. I was worried that I'm just going to say my favorite character is Pauline Alexis uh, Willie Jack. And you didn't see a lot of her at the beginning of the season, but then she was kind of interacting with Fixico. And it, when it came to episode eight and 10, when you see her relationship and how she's changed because of Fixico and how she respects elders now, um, that was, that really affected me a lot. That, yeah, that is one where I felt like there's a, that character's story through the whole series feels like it's one that, uh, we've seen develop and grow. And it definitely happens here in more concrete forms of I'm going to learn how to help people with specifically like a form form of medicine, for example, right? The fact that he's sitting there with the table and she's learning about what he's doing and she could replace his knowledge mm -hmm. and practice if she wanted to. Those are, those are things that are hinted at in the first season. Um, just the fact that she's trying to maintain a a harmony it seems like even in the in the final episode of season one where everybody's sort of like angry at each other and are they going to split up and go to california some of them are they some of them going to stay and are they fighting with each other are they talking um it seems like she 
is motivated to kind of unite them and, and also sort of heal. The instinct of a healer is present. And then the following season, she's starting to learn something. So some of these ways, and then here it, it concretizes, right? It becomes more specific and more linked to a, a specific forms of practice. And then by the end, it, it almost mimics like the, that's a, that's a real strength of the of the series format by the time we get to the season finale slash series finale it mimics an opportunity where she's had to speak up in front of people and she has to execute this desire to help and and be um, a leader she's having to step in to be a leader and yeah and the and and the community is allowing that the community is lifting her up and supporting her in this role which is important because we do understand how to grow our next generation if if we if we get the opportunity you know there's so so much has been lost in communities just because of colonization i think that this is one of the things that has you know kind of followed especially because i've been reading calling for a blanket dance and that talking about that generational building and then i guess that's what i'm bringing that's the lens i'm bringing to this is that you know, it's important to grow and mature the next generation and position them to continue to build on what our ancestors survived. Right. Absolutely. I feel like we definitely see that in Alora's story, the sort of like aspect of decolonizing our relationship with the school. And that seems to be something that has, you know, maybe very clearly made itself apparent in this particular season because of the dear lady episode where we're introduced to the trauma and the circumstances surrounding uh, boarding schools but then also these students that are in house made of bongs it's sort of like the next generation yep and and how it's a little bit more decolonized to some degree like they have agency they have will they have their own voices and utilizing their knowledge in a way that we maybe comprehend based on real life rather than maybe what we see in the episode, but we're at least hearing, you know, so, some form of education. And then, so by the time that Laura comes and she's being supported by someone that is non-native and she's willing to have, she has the strength and the agency to interact with that individual and there's no harm. There's support. Yeah. And there's a the expansion of community rather than like a divorce rather than like, a, a relationship between a, a victim and a victimizer that happens between those two identities in the Dear Lady episode. Like those are really strong um, uses of the series format and the seriality of schools, and that seems to relate to this really complicated concept of decolonization. And it, it, it by, those things together, I think, respond to this idea of the <laughs> the decolonization episode, where it's like. The, the the kids don't know what decolonization really means based on this sort of fluffy presentation <laughs> that we've all had to sit through yeah we've all had to sit through yeah. <laughs> or we've presented ourselves or we I have mean. presented yeah uh-huh, yeah <laughs> grasping that concept is ch- very challenging and but that is perhaps for me maybe the strongest aspect of this series is it's been able to demonstrate what decolonization is through this narrative or through this presence of school and education and a relationship to it 
in the past compared to what will happen now. And um, that's a really strong element here in this particular season. I, I wish that were a little bit more present throughout the entire show. But also, you know, I can't, it seems like they figured that out and I can't blame them for having figured that out by this season. I can praise them for the fact that they were able to do something with it in this season, in this kind of format of a series that you can't really do with a film. Right. And we had talked with Sierra about this, you know, used to you had 22, 24 episodes in order to do those deep dives into subjects and characters and with these shortened streaming episodes you you don't get to develop people or themes the way that you've been able to in the past so i mean who's that on that's on the streamers so yeah absolutely that's just the wild west of today yeah it's interesting that your takeaway was this decolonization of school and my takeaway is the decolonization of community matt what about you what about me what what was your big takeaway from all of this I mean, personally, I, I was impressed with the way that the show has, I mean, my, my family has watch parties or had um, have watch parties every week. And we didn't have, I didn't go to every single one, but they, they um, had a core group of my aunts and cousins. And I don't think that we met like that on a consistent basis. And I never would have imagined I'd be sit, sitting down watching a show where people are talking about being shit asses and... Uh, saying fucking res dogs um <laughs> that'd be sitting next to my mom and my aunt who are kind of they're, they're quoting some of the stuff they're saying um <laughs> i never would have imagined that um, that's amazing <laughs> and then and then watching a show about you know um, crass native kids that like we're talking about like having uh, more get-togethers on a on a more consistent basis and that's you know based you know this show this this podcast happened because of that show I'm not saying it, you know, brought my family, you know, brought us closer together, but we're we're seeing each other more. That's amazing that this show has been able to accomplish that. And it's it's the the character it's because of the characters. Characters are so well written, and they've developed over the course of three seasons. We were sold on this idea that um, the, the image, the the reservation dogs, and then the the kind of the imagery was the four kids walking down the street in black and white Tarantino. We were sold on the idea that it was going to be a bunch of hooligans that were going to, you know, cause mischief and, you know, get into adventures. And initially that's what it was about. But over the course of three seasons, I don't know if this is a, they tricked us or if this was something that they had planned all along. Um, (laughs) We get a, it's about the community and it gives insight into native peoples, native culture that a lot of people and and they show just enough to where I of ceremony and I think we someone talked about this. I don't know if it was on this podcast or another. They show enough that um, it's not they're they're not giving too much away for to offend anybody. It also got me thinking about just kind of what everything that the that they're trying to say what really got me was the um Alors dad episode i identified a lot with a lot of what was happening in that with what she was going through with uh, meeting another family not a hundred percent of what she was going through but i could identify with a lot of what was happening and then it got me thinking about the cat 
casting of Ethan Hawke and that movie or that movie I'm sorry the sh- the episode is th- there's a shot where she's walking down the street with the Laura's walking down the street with um, her dad Rick and they're smoking a joint and it's framed and blocked just like a Richard Linklater movie or Rick Linklater movie Rick Rick Linklater um, Ethan Hawke's been in like six of his movies and then it got me thinking about Ethan or I'm, it got me thinking about Richard Linklater and his influences. He was influenced by a lot of uh, French New Wave filmmakers like Bresson, um, Truffaut, um, Eric Wilmer, and a lot of the stuff that they were talking about. What those filmmakers were, a lot of the characters were about kind of wandering and kind of discovering themselves. That's kind of what this series has been about. And I don't, I can't think of a lot of television that is structured like that. And that was kind of mind blowing to me, that realization. Yeah, I mean, if it, I uh, could not separate that particular episode with House Made of Bongs because of Richard Linklater's presence was so strong. Mm-hmm. And that, just the idea of Dazed and Confused, because it was so clearly inspired by Dazed and Confused, it made me just think about the structure of Dazed and Confused. And uh, this miraculous and serendipitous thing happened when that episode aired. Like It was also like a period where they played in the Oklahoma City metro area, they played Days and Confused over the Oklahoma City Museum. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. on the same the same day, they played American Graffiti at, oh. um, you know, at a Fathom events. And I had this episode fresh in mind. And I was like, uh, it was a disservice to the episode because I was like, well, you know, Days and Confused is a stronger film <laughs> than the episode of House Made of Bongs, even yeah. though you know, Houseman of Bongs made such uh, an impression. It's unfair to compare them, really, when you sit down and look at both of them. Um, but uh, Days and Confused, just thinking about it and watching it unfold, it, you know, it's very episodic. We spend time with characters. It is about community. And it made me yeah. also, you know, I can't not think about Days and Confused in relation to Slacker, his first film, mm-hmm. or his first major feature film, which is also episodic. And it's like literally the camera just follows one set of characters, maybe a couple, maybe a single one, and then they move past someone else and those oh, yeah. characters. Okay. And we do not return. Yeah. Right? Um Days and Fuse does come back. Like characters yeah. do reappear. Um yeah. and and this series does kind of function somewhere in the middle of those two. Or, you know, we we don't return back to the time period of House Made of Bongs. Um we don't return to some of these other characters and spaces like the Maximus space. We never return to, but, uh, or Laura's dad, even though we know that there's probably a relationship that will happen. Like the, you know, the series did not integrate him in the finale. Um, and it does function in that episodic form. And there is something, I don't know if, I don't know if, what the right word is for this, but there is something where it seems like that structure is responding to convention. Uh, the convention of having to threadline everything that may be a Western approach and the sort of like decolonization of the narrative structure might be somewhere in here. I don't know how much this relates to, you know, Muskogee Creek storytelling, for example, or or other art forms. That's like something specific. I don't know, but I could see that this is maybe a step in that direction. And maybe the next, whatever the next is, will be, you know, narrative structure of that particular cultural expression i don't know how much that's likely <laughs> in, with, <laughs> with with large entities you know like disney or effects 
um, or wherever he goes for the future, you know, like there's the very likelihood of this series that's going to happen with a premium cable channel slash streamer. Um, and I don't know how much leniency they will have toward these things, but it's a step. This is not happening with Rutherford Falls. This is not happening with um, Alaska Daily. Right. But on the other, you know, on the other side, it does make me want more unification somehow, or, you know, that's maybe just my D that's my colonized brain <laughs> where I'm expecting, you know, Aristotelian three act structure. And I'm expecting, you know, a narrative uh, flow in a certain way. I, I think all storytellers have a three act structure, you know, thinking back to the episode that we recorded about what is criticism, thinking back to sitting around with my dad's side of the family that are all Delaware. I mean, master storytellers beginning middle middle end mm -hmm. there was always beginning middle end there was a lot of ribbon along the way because usually these stories were about things that somebody did in the family that was kind of boneheaded and so you know with 12 brothers and sisters they were ribbon on each other pretty hard about this bad decision or that bad decision there was always a resolution and there was always a lesson to be learned and maybe that's the difference is that our stories instruct i don't know mm. you're talking about resolution dogs versus reservation dogs <laughs> I, <clears throat> I think there's still some lessons in here like you know support each other what else what else reach out you know don't whistle at night oh my gosh when bears oh, yeah. whistling at night oh, yeah. i think all of us screamed at the television when bears started whistling in the middle of the night and what's great is also that like uh knife man started like responding as if he were a horror character like you know it sounded like jason uh -huh. and that what that was super interesting about that particular moment i was like oh maybe you know jason Voorhees in the friday the 13th series is some form of spirit right like he's unstoppable in any form let's think about like indigenizing particular popular culture there's just like this one moment of hinting that you know jason is a spirit also <laughs> that was really super interesting. I really hope not. <laughs> Ew. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, the the way that I've always learned is that there are there are basically three forms of spirits: one that is like good, one that's sort of like not so good, and there's one that sort of like plays both ways. Um, yeah. Sort of, a, you know, some people will call it trickster or whatever, but you know, Jason is on the spectrum where it's like not a spirit that's not in favor of us versus like many of the spirits that we're seeing in this particular show, which are. So anyway, I, I guess that is one thing that I wish were expanded upon. You know, I, I would definitely like to see a series where we spend more time with all sorts of other kinds of spirits. This particular season, it was great to see spirits played with a little bit more in terms of like how they function, what kind of spirits are there. Uh, obviously that, um, Maximus episode starts with one. Um, we start to learn a little bit more about Two Lady. We Rita starts to interact with her own relationship from her own past, and then you know, in the final episode, we start to see a spirit interact with another spirit, right? Like the the cowboy gentleman that we saw in the first episode, where uh, Willie Jack goes to the prison for the first time, and she has an interaction, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Uh, that that made me laugh with Steve Mathis. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think I've met him before. 
Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> we've what's all met that dude. Yeah, what's interesting? Yeah, <laughs> when that came on, Maya said something about it, and it, I can't remember if she brought it up or if I did, but it felt like somehow it, it was implying that that character was also now a spirit. That's the way that we interpret it. Even though I guess you could conceive it that he sees spirits also. Like there's you know two ways to think about that. I guess at least. Oh, I just assumed he was spirit. But he could have been there, and he could have been physical, and he could have been interacting with a spirit. And the interaction is very romantic, and it's interactive in a way that we haven't seen. And that just made me think about like the way in which we don't see spirits depicted, also, and like romance is one of them. You know, I would love to see our own version of ghost, where there's like this romantic interaction between individuals. It's I think it is hinted at in one of the Zacharias Canuck films, like there is somebody having like a sexual relationship with one. Yeah, that's something that is kind of missing in our narrative. And and missing in this is the you know, romance or I mean, they play around with Bev and Big, but they don't really get into like Willie Jack's parents relationship, which is obviously a strong marriage. Right. But we yeah, we and don't see them. We don't you know see them. Yeah, and I feel like we do not see them since one of the previous seasons. Like when her mother appears in the finale, Maya was like, who is that? <laughs> because we hadn't spent any time. Well. Yeah, we hadn't spent any time um, with them. And that that's another like missing element, maybe because of the format of 10 episodes. Well, I mean, maybe this is opening the door for inspiration for a ghost movie or for a romantic comedy or for a horror movie that isn't terribly offensive to to all the people that are getting yeah. Yeah. yeah all the people right. that are co-oping our spirits for Maybe various this, reasons this, this yeah. could be a springboard for inspiration for um other native artists to kind of step forward and and i don't know do, do something but this this is now starting to make me I'm, i can't stop thinking about uh, willie jack and her parents now but we spent time in their spaces and it's just making me think about like the decision her father makes to um make Alora a protege. You know, he's sort of like in the Friday episode of this season, he's sort of like guiding her to some degree and giving advice about how he could potentially hand the keys over to her as the new lead of his department in IHS. And it didn't occur to me until now to wonder why is it that he is what's the deal there? why is he not wanting Willie Jack to take over. That's an element of like, you know, family. And I would, what I've seen in the world, especially in like Oklahoma, is that like family wants their children to succeed them. No, I think um, we want our kids to do better. Yeah. I, but I think we, I, I completely understood that just because Alora's alone in his eyes. And this is an opportunity for her, whereas his daughter can do better, can be more can follow her own dreams and not be stuck with him, his dreams. Right. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. But I guess uh, I'm thinking about it now because it's like an opportunity there to like include those particular characters. And I want to, I guess I just want to see that. And we just don't have it. There's just no time really. Um, but it, it would be interesting to hear or see, a, you know, a scene between Willie Jack's parents talking about that, you mm -hmm. know, like that would be great to see pillow talk of the adults at this point, it feels like we're making suggestions to distributors and 
studios. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, please give us more time to tell. Give us more time. Absolutely. Yeah. Give us more time. Because there's so much more to mine and people enjoy it. Obviously. They do. They do. But also, it would. I think it would just help this season, for example, specifically this season, because it did feel maybe, I don't know if it's totally inconsistent or rhythmically inconsistent or something, but it felt a little uneven because 10 episodes, they were trying to like, finish the conclusion of the California narrative that was related to some degree of like the, the thing that bear was going through and how maybe bear is a little bit more isolated from the others. That's sort of like maybe the first three or four episodes. And then we kind of shift into six other episodes that are maybe getting the series to its conclusion and then spending more time with the group again, or or building toward that giving you know, some of the characters, their, their time. But I think because there were only 10 episodes, it felt like somehow those agendas were not um, threaded as well as they could have been with more time. Yeah, it wasn't um, until Erica Tremblay's episode that I was like, oh, now we're back. It was mm-hmm. kind of wandery, jumping from style to style, just to kind of get those bits and pieces out. And then when Tremblay's episode came and they were busting him out and everything went wrong, but it all came out right. I was like, Oh, that was the reservation dogs that I knew and loved. I mean, it got us to miss the characters. Like once, once episode eight finally got here, everyone, I mean, that was probably really exciting for a lot of people was to finally see, see everyone back together doing again, the hooligan stuff that we were, we were sold on um, <laughs> for lack of a better t- letter, lack of a better term. But yeah, I mean that, 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 and then I kind of gave a lot of momentum going into the final two episodes, um, which were really emotional. Yeah. That's a good observation. The fact that like the, the send it episode that episode eight, the bust out or breakout or whatever we want to call it, they are hooligans. And so much recalls maybe the first part of the first, season like the first Mm -hmm. couple episodes with the fact that there's a vehicle involved and there's like a uh, implied high speed (laughs) use (laughs) of that vehicle (laughs) that they're doing something against regulations and they're being deceptive what's great is because those things are similar we're able to see the differences and we're able to see that they're now united with this like opposing quote-unquote gang that was Mm -hmm. in the first season yeah yeah that um they're also doing it for reasons that are not selfish. It's not just about getting chips to eat or sell. Mm-hmm. It's about to save, you know, and unite a community. Um, that was really strong in terms of its uh, serial design, I guess. Even though I, Matt, keeps talking about how the hooligan is something that we're being sold and maybe is not as present. And I felt I felt that now that it was back in episode eight, I was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. they're supposed to be like. They're supposed to be hooligans, um, mm-hmm. but but we spend so much time with them, like understanding them as humans, that I don't see them as like kids, bad kids. Yeah, enough maybe, or that like big chasing them is sort of like not a. He's. N- I thought it, the pilot to me suggested he's going to be like Gargamel. He's going to be like <laughs> chasing the Smurfs, <laughs> and uh, always going to be spoiled by them. And then he's fishing with cheese and. Frankfurter sandwich. 
right? Fink murder in episode six, yeah, of yeah. this season, which is I mean, a good development. But I, I was also, I felt like a, I, to some degree, maybe those things were missing. I wanted more like mm-hmm. hooligan activity somehow interspersed. So well, that and was I thought reminded. he was going to be mentoring cheese more. Cheese, right. Yeah, yeah they, they tease that in the first season. That's right. Which they I thought te- was they... really a lovely relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The cheese tease. <laughs> Have you been holding on to some of these phrases for three seasons? <laughs> no, not at all. No. I agree. I feel like that. I feel like cheese it gets the raw end of the deal here. I feel like Almost all the other characters have a little bit more of a con- concrete ending. Yeah, yeah. He's just. I mean, I, with grandma watching or playing video games. Yeah, sort of. I mean, he is to some degree becoming a counselor. He's sort of like, you know, in that Frankfurter sandwich, he is putting them in a position of leading these elders in a group and yeah. handling their trauma. <laughs> yeah, um, that's something that I really grasp. But I feel like I don't know how how much that integrates into the final episode as much as everybody else's um story it doesn't i don't know if it does that no, I, he's just, I, he gets coffee for everybody that's yeah, his job yeah. in the final yeah. season or episode right. is to get coffee and dig yeah. and throw and smack somebody in the head with a shovel right yeah but he can't wait to be an elder someday many of them can't wait being an elder is weird it's got to be weird because in your head you think you're still young, and then but everybody asks for your opinion, and then they listen. And then you've got to give it. You got to have something to say. <clears throat> yeah, it's like when the spirit was telling Hokti, "Say something deep." You're like, "Well, crap! Now I got to think of something deep." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she does. She delivers beautifully. Beautifully. Yeah, that was great. And it made me wonder. I mean, if you have to explain community, then wow, that's hmm. So much of this to us, I think, has been stating the obvious. Yeah, right. And then we realized that, oh, it's not obvious to other people. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is something that I think the series has handled well is even though there are some things that are obvious, it's still, I feel like, ways um, as engaging as somebody who already understands some of these concepts. But like that, just the way it's handled about community and how someone's presence is still around with the chips, the the iconography or the symbolism there was so um, strong, especially because it's like relates to like this language that the res dogs have, which is like, um, you know, like junk food and kind of spiritualized junk food is something that is very original and interesting even though the concept itself is something that I knew going in. And I sort of was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. But the originality of the art form is what is indicative of, I think, how the show is handling a lot of concepts. A key to a success for us on a level of art and not just like seeing ourselves, not just it functioning for an audience that's learning about us for the first time, but it's, it's still engaging me. Well, what do we hope to see for the future? If you could predict... A future for one of the characters what would it be that's hard because mm. you know i want to pick bear but we don't really know what bear is into anymore he was into making films but he didn't necessarily connect with maximus over filmmaking in order to have a mentor i mean well, that could that could come later now that um it seems like maximus is 
maybe going to be around more or he's getting along with everybody. Not I, maybe, maybe I, I see maybe being as more of a presence in Bear's life. Maybe going that'd be forward. good. That'd be yeah. good. And talking about talking about movies, talking about movie making. Yeah, I mean, I'm just seeing Alora going to school, you know, and I feel like she's going to have what would be a very interesting season for me to see. If the college years? The college years. But unlike Saber the Bell, for example, um, it'd be more like a different world, you know, a new oh, series. Yeah. Yeah. We see Alora go to school. Ooh. There's a whole new cast. And we would probably also see, you know, whether she makes it or struggles. Because that's a whole other thing. And that's an interesting thing that happens with a different world where... Lisa Bonet didn't make it. Yeah, well, I can't... Denise, Denise. Does, not, <laughs> does not complete school and has right. her own narrative in relation to school. Mm-hmm. But we, we learned about an entirely new cast and we got to love a new environment and we saw a different kind of perspective about uh, a different age range. That's, I guess, combining my two questions for you is like, I would love to see a new series about that but also that's where I think the character is going. Uh, she's just going to go to school. She's going to also learn a little bit more about the urban life. If she's going to school in Tulsa. Is that where Muskogee Creek Nation? I don't actually know if that's the case, but it seemed to implied that because her, her dad is in Tulsa and she's <laughs> like, I'm going to be right, you know, right near you now. So yeah. yeah, let's make, let's give a shout out to us urban, urban natives. Yeah. I would love, yeah. We'd love to see more of that. But the co- yeah, the college years are a version of a different world. I think a better... Okay, so let's start this again. I'll start it with a better question. What spinoffs would you like to see come from this series? I would well, love I, to see the IHS one, just because I lived in that IHS world. It's bananas. You could have your core set of characters and then all of the crazy patients that we had coming in with all the crazy things that had happened to them. It was just, and you know, you could even make it like a St. Elsewhere type situation where it's more of a drama, medical drama in IHS. Oh, that's interesting. A tonal shift. Yeah. Yeah. Longer series. That would be interesting. Yeah. I I could see that also functioning as just like a workplace comedy, like if it were still a sitcom, it'd be like The Office or Night Court or something. Yep. Spinoff. I want to see more Big. Uh, I think Big became one of my favorite characters um, because I feel like Zahn really found the character by this particular season. And, well, uh, when you when you watch his performance in Dark Winds or anything else, really, versus how he plays Big, um, mm-hmm. you see you see what a really good actor he is. The way he his line deliveries and kind of his how his character will think about something before he says something. I don't know. It's it's great. Okay, Matt, you Matt's, what, what's did, your spinoff? Oof. Did Mark and Mindy, did that spin out of Happy Days? Yes. yes. So you want it like a, you know, an alien or a star person um, sitcom. Yeah. Like Maximus is the introduction of like an ALF yeah. character. <laughs> yeah. I would watch that. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, uh, Knife Man, not related to Mark and Mindy, but uh, William Knife Man, uh, obviously he's such a, a great just uh, uh, just uh, everything Dallas Goldtooth puts into that I'd, I'd like to see maybe a limited series just with him I'm not sure how that would work yeah like the prequel like leading up to the horse falling that, that would work that would work everything or you could make it a workplace comedy 
when all the other spirits get together and they're I'm like, going oh, back and forth with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like what is that show with um the Harry Potter actor and like Steve Buscemi and they like have to go to Earth and they're like oh, it's, or something. It changes the setting every season. Yeah. What is that called? Oh, that's um oh crap. Yeah. It's somewhere between that and like good omens, it seems like what you're kind of describing. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sunrise, what about you? Well, I already mentioned that I re- I want to see a big series. I don't know what that would be. Uh, or uh, I kind of already mentioned um, the different world. I would love to see that. I was going to say uh, different. If you had a big series, I think it's called Dark Winds. If if Dark Winds were a little bit more like the X-Files, <laughs> I would totally be into that show. If Big is like interacting, he's already set up to be interacting with like this paranormal stuff. And he actually is... You know, having to fight Bigfoot, <laughs> or if, he, <laughs> or if he's interacting they, with like, yeah, weren't they getting kind of X Filesy in the first season? Maybe they were a they, little they, bit. They were teasing yeah. it. They were teasing it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it could totally go that direction. I would totally be into that show, even oh if it were gosh. Dark Winds to go in that direction a little bit more. You know, no, because, it'd be great because you know, they're in Southeast or yeah, since they're in Eastern Oklahoma, they could be like, who are the real threats? These spirits or the drug manufacturers. Bum, right. Bum, bum. Yeah. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. There's a little bit of Scooby Doo there where it's like, you think it's like a monster, but no, it's like it's a human some perpetrator. Uh, but I would love to see that show. Yeah. E- even if it's Dark Winds turns into that, which it won't. Um, but I feel like we are definitely missing. Like, that's something I've always wanted to do is just like a native X Files of some sort. Dark Winds is primed for that because it's on the Navajo reservation where we've had police that handle spiritual, supernatural, and paranormal phenomena. Really? Yeah, totally. Really? Yeah. Does that happen when you're out there or with your fam or what? No, I mean, like, it's just they have those officers that would handle those things. That the I think that um, office or that those officers are no longer practicing in that way. Oh. Uh, so there's, like, it's also a period series where it happens, you know, like, in the, I think, 90s, maybe into the mid-2000s. That would be the show that I would make, probably unrelated to right. this series somewhat related to dark winds a uh, spinoff you know I've, i still want to see um lee porn and big together in their own at least episode <laughs> if not series <laughs> and we find out they're twins <laughs> or maybe they find out that they had the same parents or mother or something would there have to be time parent travel would, would... no it's parent how, trap how would that work yeah it would have to be time travel i mean one's an elder <laughs> so have we heard any rumors about what everybody what projects are coming up for the folks that were involved in this series with the writer's strike going on it was everything's kind of ground to a halt so i'm sure a lot of projects are starting to come back maybe even in a different form from when right. they started right i mean we do know that dark winds is coming back for season three so we already know that it's on in Maybe some of the writers that were involved in that show are going to come back. Yeah. And, you know, Devery and all the Podemskis are very busy in Canada, where they're based out of. They didn't yeah. have a strike in Canada. Yeah. So, didn't have, yeah. And one of the Podemskis has like a paranormal, now that we're talking about this, they have like a paranormal investigation show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Reality, I think. Doesn't one of them, they're producing mm-hmm. the residential school series up there? With Grace yeah, Dove, I think so. yeah. Bones of 
Bones of Crow. I think that's a Pudemski production. So all of our uh, temporary Okies are back in their Canadian homes, cranking out all kinds of stuff with the support of federal funds, Canadian federal funds. <laughs> hint, hint, U.S. funds. Right. So lucky. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that'll ever happen. I hope that Erica Tremblay is working on something new. We just screened Fancy Dance in Tulsa over the weekend. And, of course, everyone responded so positively towards it. I think she's really... Her episodes on this series have always been my favorite. So I'm definitely a fan of Erica. If you haven't, you can go back and listen to my interview with her at Dead Center Film. Yeah, I agree that hers are some of the strongest in the whole series, including the ones in Dark Winds. I keep like the, the, her episode in that is great. Um, and Tazba, of course, Tazba Chavez is just like smoking hot right now. She's in everything, everywhere. Everybody wants her to write. Everybody wants her to direct. And understandably so. So talented. Just so talented. Yeah. And Sterling as a showrunner, it seems like he's got other stuff that he's hinting at. I know. I'm ready for him to make his announcement of all of his new new projects so i mean all good things to all of the people associated with this series i think that they've done a wonderful job of what sierra talked about kicking the door open and then holding it open holding it open all of the native storytellers yeah tremendous uh achievement the fact that it was successful beyond our dreams and now we are our communities are part of a conversation outside of our communities. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a tremendous achievement. And then to top that off, the fact that we've got a narrative that is talking about issues and then introducing some aspects of our indigenous perspectives and storytelling approaches. It feels like all of those things are now part of a larger conversation because the series has introduced those things to a wider audience. That's, incredible and then yeah to jumpstart so many of these careers the fact that so many people have had their first time writing any kind of series or having a hand at directing working with the structure of a studio system Mm -hmm. um all of those things are such tremendous achievements you know there's no way that this won't be looked back on as like one of the most historically important um works this is one of the times that I'm glad to be part of a history-making time period in the United States. <laughs> the rest of it, I would like to have just lived in ordinary times, but this I'll take. Any final thoughts? We're going to wrap it up. Jumping on what Sunrise said, um, I, I feel like years from now, people are going to look back on it, and this is going to be like the springboard for a lot of other great creative works that are going to come from people that were inspired inspired by the the series and people that worked on it um, are going to be given opportunities that they probably wouldn't have been given without it. That's amazing. And then what I talked about earlier just brought my family you know, a little closer together. We, we were, we were seeing each other a lot more and gave us something to talk about other stuff to talk about. And we're going to continue meet more regularly that we were talking about. My aunt was talking about, we need to do this more often. So um, yeah. Thanks Sterling. I'm just glad that we have something that is in the popular zeitgeist, which we haven't in a very long time. And the fact that it is making people think about our culture in a way that is cool 
and that there's like something awesome and hip that as a starting point for discussion that's that those are signs that something's going to remain it's not all popular culture which is the depth of the show but like the fact that it is popular just allows it to have longevity and people will always be talking about it i think and even though we kind of talked about how maybe it's a little too replicative of dazed and confused the fact that it 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 is so clearly inspired by dazed confused and that link later still sort of like this presence here i feel like because it's so popular a show when dazed and confused comes up this series will now likely come up for a lot of people that may or may not have any indigenous affiliation and and the fact that it is now in a conversation with these very large tentpole works is just a testament of our strength as artists and again it's just a an indication of how we are decolonizing our presence and that we're valid and alive and trendy you know like those are all signs of some sort of success and culture like that's really fascinating to me i'm i'm pleased with and i'm excited to see the work of devery you know just giving someone like that a chance to present her talents and develop them across the series her performance right you know uh, but also the, as an as a writer and now as a director give her the chance to have an example and a portfolio when she goes forward with whatever works that she wants to make so that's really amazing i think it's also great that we have an example that you can go into a community and find an actor you know so the fact that we have lean factor as an example that someone can be found within an indigenous community that is of the tribe that they're being that is being depicted that's a really important step forward just in terms of on-screen presence and accuracy I, i think we still have work to do in that area obviously not everybody on this series is creek but that just the fact that we have his his casting as an example means that that could possibly happen if like another reservation dogs like show is going to occur in the muskogee creek nation it seems like it's very likely a possible that we could cast it entirely with tribal members but i think the industry has a long way to go we have to have people who are willing to commit to that and it is a lot of work mm-hmm. you know but a kudos to the fact that effects and disney were able to um uh, uh, entertain that idea and to put the work into it because i'm sure it took work to get there well and you know we talked to nyla and it shook about her process of getting the actors for slashback and how long that took it's a lot of work mm-hmm. just just to get to the place where things can function i think that my takeaway is a huge thank you to taika for helping get this series off the ground a huge thank you to FX and Disney for taking a chance on it because it was unprecedented. A huge thank you for Sterling for having the vision to hire all of these creative natives to give them the opportunity to build a portfolio to be able to go pitch because I know that he has been doing this for years. It ain't easy out there, folks. So for him to be able to be that generous is a real testament to his commitment to community. And yeah, I don't think, I mean, this is kind of lightning in a bottle. I don't know that we'll ever see the likes of it again, but it's definitely the, it could be a great jumping off point 
if other studios and such will give us the chance because our stories are out there and we can't wait to tell them. We can't wait to share them, share them our way. Yeah. And it is also exciting that there are so many tribes and this was really just one story. And the fact that there is the possibility of so many other tribal stories Mm -hmm. from so many different tribes, there is the potential for a lot of future work. With that, we will be grateful for the opportunities that Reservation Dogs brought about, including getting us together to talk critically about Native media, because we wouldn't be here if it weren't for that show. And I think that we've had some really meaningful discussions along the way, and we I cannot wait for our future episodes as the body of work keeps growing from our Native creatives and as our team keeps finding new ways to talk about our new media. Once again, Quiana, for joining us this week as we've wrapped up our favorite series. Be sure to tune in next week. Same Indigenous time, same Indigenous channel. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real Real Indigenous. indigenous. That was close. Yeah, uh, Matt was the the last one. one, I feel like I'm always the last one. Mm -hmm.